Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey guys, what's up? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and we're doing a very, very special show, but we'll get right into that in a minute. I just want all the fan holes that are here tonight. We have the entire contingent, so everybody give a shout-out and introduce yourselves to the listeners. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. It's Mike. This is Justin. And this is Tony. I can read! Woo! Reading is good. So we are here tonight because... I think the best way to describe this episode is this episode is going to be a lengthy listener feedback episode. And we don't often get a lot of listener feedback, but one of our regular listeners, one of our buddies over on Bot Talk, J. David Panzel, we also know him as Dead End or Durango on the Bot Talk forums, a uh, while back, he submitted some thoughts, some musings, some stream of consciousness on his thoughts on the series Star Trek Voyager, you know, possibly because he himself had been revisiting Star Trek Voyager, but also because, you know, we often rag and, and bag all over Star Trek Voyager, whether it's in our sidecasts or even in the regular standard podcasts that we've done on Star Trek in the past. And one of the things he wanted to do was have us release some of his stream of consciousness musings over on the blog spot. But we, as fanholes, thought that the stream of consciousness was just too awesome to be contained in a single blog. So what we all came up with mutually one night when we were just having some fun and dicking around, we, we decided that we would do this as a dramatic reading. And you know, we like having fun doing all kinds of different voices and everything. So basically all the fan holes are here tonight, and I think Justin is going to be semi-moderating and kind of shouting out different voices for us to do. But that's basically what we're going to do tonight, is a stream of consciousness review of Star Trek Voyager, but as a dramatic reading by the fan holes. So that's basically what's going on tonight, and that's where we are. So I guess we'll kick things off. Does everybody have the musings of Mr. Panzel in front of them? It is in front of me in Helvetica da Font. All right, all right. So I, I guess everybody's got it in front of them, and, and so I guess we'll, we'll start off. But I, I, I'm going to turn it over to Justin as far as, like, telling us, like, who goes first. And, you know, I, you know, I guess we'll read some paragraphs and do some different voices and stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully you guys will all be entertained by this. Because I know one night when we were doing it for Shits and Giggles, we were pretty entertained by it. So we thought it would make a pretty fun show. So go ahead, Justin. All right, how about, Derek, you lead us off with a little bit of uh, Olympia Space Princess, just however long you want to read. Okay. Oh, my glob, you guys. In the two-parter year of hell, Anorak, oh, my glob, uses the time ship to rearrange time in his sector of space to aid his people and bring back his wife, Chakotay, oh, and Tom Harris. <laughs> So hot are captured, and Chakotay ends up helping Anorak, while Janeway, slut, attempts to hold her ship together and stop Anorak. <laughs> Alright, Mike, how about a little uh, John Glad Van Damme? Year of Hell should have taken place as the entire fourth season instead of just a two part. 
<laughs> but then we would have missed exactly what she was. Oh, wait, no, I, I skipped the line, sorry. Uh, but then we would have missed on what? Seven of Nine remembering her childhood and then going back to being exactly what she was so hard. Chakotay being trained to hate a race he has never met so we could have social commentary about mindless hate. Year of Hell would have been the perfect season for Deep Space Nine sort of did something like it at the beginning of a season six when they retook the station. Actually have the show wrapped around a major war. A major war. We're going to war. The war is cancelled. <laughs> Voyager could have easily wrapped around Captain Ahab and his time ship. Sadly, Star Trek Voyager comes across as the producer saying, Okay, the art kids had their fun, Deep Space Nine, but now it's back to the real work. Deep Space Nine is cancelled. <laughs> and, <gave us, laughs> and gave us a mediocre Star Trek spin-off. Right. Hey, Tony, how about the little uh, Goofy? <laughs> oh, gosh. Message in a bottle where the daughter is thrown across the galaxy into an experimental fleet ship. <laughs> Demon, Omega Directive, etc. <laughs> the crew actually started to develop. Janeway become a darker character. Ooh. She forces a Borg to embrace humanity. Picard almost used a Borg as a genocidal bomb. Then they had to be talked out of it. But Janeway, oh no, she made 70 individuality. We see can't sleep finally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, Derek, how about some Shatner? Four even ended very well with seven dealing with being alone on the ship. Then the season ends with the crew being handed a Starfleet ship with a slipstream drop. But everything turns out differently when a tourist just wants revenge on the board. But Voyager gets <laughs> slightly closer to home. Even season six, or even season five, we see Janeway actually question her decision back at the caretaker array. All right, Mike, how about some Gambit? In the two-parter episode, Equinox. Wait, I'm, I'm, my Gambit. <laughs> Jean-Claude won't leave you alone. Jean-Claude Van Gambit. <laughs> Go away, Jean-Claude. Wait, hang on. Let me, let me get it into the, into the mood. In the two-parter episode. See, I can't. Mike, Mike, Mike. Just say, similar. say, say Just put Professor to bed. Yeah. In the in the two parter episode Equinox, the Voyager encounters Starfleet <laughs> ship Equinox, also lost in the Delta Quadrant through extraordinary circumstances and surviving surviving through any means necessary. Share for Equinox, <laughs> that means tricking another race and capturing them, killing another race of f- creatures to fuel the ship and help them in getting home. Mona me. What's great about this? is that the fact that the Equinox crew did something so morally wrong and are justifying it without remorse and plan to do so again is what pushes Janeway over the edge to the point that it actually drives a wedge between her and Chakotay. <laughs> that that <laughs> almost sounds like a little bit of like Sam Jackson. Your yeah, yeah, it's like a black gambit. Uh, I can't. Just, just go on Sam Jackson. Between her and Chakotay! <laughs> Those like, are two smiles. Uh, They're like, finally, we get intercrew drama. Finally, we see what Janeway is really made of. Oh, finally, instead of alien race of the week, 
We get to see Captain Janeway with a vendetta and Chakotay getting mad at her. Oh, my mind! <laughs> oh, man. You're gonna be like, <laughs> Justin's going through all the voices. <laughs> How about just a little dark side? Just as much as you can manage. <laughs> Never mind the fact that she is correct. Never mind. I saw these people. It's so desperate to get home that they've taken to killing benevolent life forms. Chakotay shows how useless he has been to the show. And now he is also spineless. No way. Though Equinox shows us the two sides of the one person in the form of two different captains. Ransom, who is so desperate for home that he is taken to genocide. And Janeway, who is so desperate to make Ransom pay that he's become, actually become like him. And I've lost my voice. (laughs) (laughs) And lozenge. (laughs) I desperately need it. Time for that, I'm with, Derek. You're all the way. That she's actually become like him. (laughs) All the way down to interrogation and torture of one of Ransom's crew. (laughs) And in the middle of it is Chakotay trying to maintain rational thinking and a calm atmosphere. Equinox ended five and began season six, and Voyager had gotten better. (laughs) Or had it? (laughs) Season seven saw the quality of the show go back to, well, it had potential, but... Oh, wow. (laughs) The thing that stands out for me the most is Q2, where Q's son Q is put on trial at the end, and for whatever reason, the panel of Q decided to dress up like a 21st century in Trek history judge. And they brought back the bad extreme close-ups. The episode did fine on its own. It didn't need more. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tony, give us something. All right. I guess a little uh, Alan Rickman. Then there's the season finale where Voyager really does make it home, Potter. But then Admiral Janeway goes back in time to get home sooner. I personally don't think the finale was that bad. But it was obvious that it had come to an end, motherfucker. And the finale didn't end like DS9 or TNG ended where you could tell the cast were all happy. Again, actors complained about it, and it didn't give the fans any real payoff. And they're right, it didn't. 
Mike, how about the 24? We didn't, we don't see the present crew land on the payoffs <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the earth. No ceremony, no Kim kissing the grass in San Francisco. Just Voyager escorted to Earth by a phalanx of fleet ships. They wasted all this time dealing with Borg or exposition or old Janeway lamenting her dead crew in the future. It did give us a few good moments. Alice Krieg, as she always stole the show, as the best Borg queen. Janeway's comments about coffees, and holy crap, the fact that yes, they did get to go home in my <laughs> Nissan Stanza. <laughs> I, 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 if, if, you, if you don't mind, uh, Justin, can I make a suggestion? How, how about we hear some uh, Skeletor, Derek? Yeah, some Skeletor. Okay. He-Man, of course, these are just examples of what was great about Voyager. <laughs> Seeing how this mashed crew of Starfleet and Marquis would work together to achieve their common goal. So why do I keep saying it had potential while I explain the best things about it? Voyager was new in its own way, Beastman. It did go where no truck show had gone before. Some far-off part of the galaxy completely cut off from the Federation. No Enterprise. <laughs> and even the captain was a woman played by the awesome Kate Mulgrew. It promised adventure. Action, a new crew, and new dangers, and new wonders, and where we would see the ship attempt a 70-year journey home. <laughs> All right, Mike, how about a little bit more John claude <laughs> Great idea or poor execution? Instead of greatness, Voyager gave us the Kazon knockoff Klingons. Four characters cast Neelix for no reason, Naomi Wildman. Bad episode? Seriously, Warp 10 speeds up their evolution and causes them to become Komodo dragons? Or remember the episode where Neelix and Tuvok were joined by transporter malfunction? No? Well, you should, because it was really bad. <laughs> We've heard all the behind-the-scenes stories. Robert Beltram was angry at how the show was handled, especially by Season 7. The producers didn't seem to care about how much the actors felt. And it was on a bad network. UPN. UPN is canceled. It's canceled so hard. <laughs> maybe Voyager was just the first signs of burnout from the production staff. And maybe Star Trek should have just been put on hiatus after Deep Space Nine. And Berman and Co. should have just focused on the next generation movies. Ron Moore did Star Trek Voyager much better as Battlestar Galactica. Perhaps they should have waited for a few years to do Voyager. <laughs> turn, turn to check over the Voyager. Voyager. <laughs> I do like how Jean-Claude says uh, Galactica, though. Galactica! <laughs> Derek, do Arnold. Arnold. Let's talk about the ship's crew, Starfleet mixed with Marquis. Now granted, a lot of Marquis, which is scared and angry colonists, 
who felt abandoned by the Federation, so they did like the Bajorans and took up arms against the Cardassians. And there's many ex-officers in the Maquis, which in the Gene Roddenberry Bible is a big no. Because who would ever turn their backs on the perfect Federation? If Gene were alive, he would have canned the Maquis and fired everyone involved in the idea. That's terrific. That's why it's so interesting. The Maquis are basically standing up against the Federation, Dylan. Fuck you. That is what I can't give their faith to the Cardassians, which I agree was wrong. But it is a show of how the colonies and the DF. Uh, in the DMC had the freedom to choose come on over here so maybe Gene would have been okay with it so that he has Chakotay and his team of rebels fleeing a Cardassian warship you have to love the Cardassians they sent a huge warship to go after a small fighter it's like using a handgun to kill a fly I'll be back. And then they disappear. Voyager is tasked to find them. I want the Turbo Man doll. <laughs> and we see Jane round up Tom Paris right away. And already we are introduced to this woman. We have a good idea of how she'll be tough. Intelligence won't back down. Holds the ideals of Starfleet, etc. <laughs> All right, the rest of it, rest of it's a free for all. You guys just go crazy and do whatever you want. Uh, I'll, I'll try something. <clears throat> I haven't done this for a long time. What you leave for them? Thrown through space in the Delta Quadrant. I found a lost Muskie's crew. They go over the top. A series from here happens, and we now have an degree of Muskie's stuff in the Gravity Thunder. This last three years, I've worn out so there's all like four people, all very new people. That we don't really care about. It all annoying. I gave up a tuba. We'll just get the full of death grip. It's just good to go out there for a while. Just, you know, go after him. Yeah, come on. <laughs> that was my Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, these are my key? They're whining and quibbling the whole time about being rebellious? For what? Because Tuvok is Starfleet. In the Resistance, those four would be the first four to die. Because they would be doing nothing but whining about hard work and following a structure. I mean, most rebel outfits are structured, right? Did the writers even pay attention to DS9? Or did they just see Marquis rebels and decide they don't follow rules and that's why they're Marquis? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. And that was the one time we noticed the Marquis, and there were only four of them. And what happened to the rest? The rest of the time, it's just your standard Starfleet crew on a starship. Even Chakotay, the minute he dons his standard Starfleet his uniform... Yeah, I lost my place. <laughs> yeah, even Chakotay. Yeah, even Chakotay, the minute he dons, his uniform is neutered. 
After this, we forget about them and go on with the standard explore explore space run into an alien or two for the week. Yes. Tuvok, I have to give it to Tim Ross. He knows his Vulcans. It was like he learned at the feet of Leonard Nimoy, and he stayed consistent throughout the series, too. Same with the Doctor, who we got to see become more individual and unique as the show went on. Yes. Once more, Doc was probably the most interesting on the show. Paris and Chakotay. Boothick Starfleet with one marquee leader who was not a Jedi. And the other a criminal. Any backstory on them just went away in light of the episodes riddled with techno-babble and substandard plots by young Padawan. Chakotay is the worst, though. Much like Darth Plagueis. He's at Starfleet, sure. He obviously disagreed with how the Federation handled the Cardassian DMZ colonies issue, and he's Native American. Now that's a really cool idea. Do it. Mr. Say, an Indian who actually offends Opsa to the Utopic Federation and tells him Opsa, Mooey Mooey! By episode Satusa, he's just another pizza officer, though. And sometimes, Wisa throws in mystical Indianish things. So Wisa remember he's a Native American. And that's it. Oh, so sure. Once in a while, Wisa see Chakote do something mooey mooey other than be Janeway's lobster dog. But other than that, sir, it's a character was really poorly handled, and the actor was so poorly dealt with mooey bombast. God, I want to go strangle Jar Jar again. <laughs> very well. Jar Jar, Jar Jar, that was outrageous. Then there was Paris, who went from supposed to be a rebellious to cookie-cutter Star Trek character who dates, then marries Bulana Taurus, who went from annoying to bland and is holding me back! Give it to the actors, though. They took what little they were given, and they really went for it. I think the only one who didn't really change was Harry Kim. They threw in Neelix and Kess, and they got rid of Kess and gave us seven and nine, which makes sense when you just consider Kess was just kind of there and didn't really add anything to anything, whereas seven was blatant sex appeal, but she added to the show as a character, and her skin was soft as sand. Seven of Nine was interesting because we could watch someone who was once Borg become human number one, which gave us interesting storylines like Seven being the only awake organic on a ship and watching her deal with being alone, totally alone for the first time, engage. And Chakotay, shut up, Wesley. He was thrown in the back again until they needed some kind of mystical Indian thing to fill five minutes. Native Americans can't even get a break in Star Trek, can they? I think the Chakotay thing bothers me the most about Voyager. Here they had a perfect setup. 
a Native American on a respected TV show that isn't hunting and killing and being all kinds of savage, and they never utilize him unless there's something mystical they need it. <laughs> did you just bash your? <laughs> did you just bash your ships off the wall? <laughs> the line will be drawn here. <laughs> oh, where, 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 where. oh, okay. It's like they never you like. Well, it's like they zeroed in on one small aspect of the native culture and went with it. You don't even know what Trukai tribe Chakotay was supposed to be in. Yay! So once again, the Indians are handed beads and told to deal with it, you motherfuckers. This time by Star Trek! Yay! Horrible Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Eric Kim didn't catch a break, really. It was just that young ensign in the background who sometimes did something. Which brings me to Voyager had potential. The premise of Voyager was one that really didn't lend itself to episodic like Next Generation, my good friend Patrick Stewart, and even Enterprise. Here we have Voyager again lost in the Delta Quadrant, and they're going along as if nothing happened. There were no real marquee uprisings, no infighting. The aliens were just guys with rubber attachments again. <laughs> If there is any infighting, it is quickly forgotten by the next episode. They will not be safe. <laughs> go, D, go. Go, D, go. Wait, I lost. I totally lost. You're on Remember the 37s. Oh, okay. Um, shit, I'm trying to think of something now um, <laughs> that I haven't done yet. Remember the 37s. <laughs> Where Voyager finds an old Chevy truck floating in space, then follow the garbage trail to the planet containing abducted humans? No, it had Amelia Earhart in it. None of the 37s freak out. There's no human emotions from any of them. They just seem to take it in stride for some reason, as if alien abductions and waking up hundreds of years later was just another day. Even Amelia just seemed okay with everything. No real amazement, Alfred. No turmoil about losing her old life. Just a sort of, well, okay, I woke up in the future. Cool, then. <laughs> Suddenly, they're attacked, and Amelia and her group of cryo-victims just sort of take it all in stride. And then Voyager leaves, and we never hear from them or about them again. What happened at the docks? <laughs> the premiere even had its moments where Janeway would not break the prime directive. Did I ever tell you how I got these scars? Anyway, unless it's been being water containers right before the eyes of a technologically primitive culture, then it was okay. Did they write the show Bible as Janeway will never break the Prime Directive? Unless the story asked for her to do so? If I remember correctly, the Warp 10 episode pissed me off when I first saw it. Why so serious? Not because of the mutating at first, but because, damn it, that barrier's been broken before. That TOS episode where all forced to go ahead and drown with a TNG on a few occasions. I don't know. Let me show you a trick. 
Or at least they had a transwarp ship before. Excelsior from Search for Spock. Also, I can never see how Warp 10 would be would cause Paris or Wrongway <laughs> wrong to mutate. That was nonsensical crap from Braga, the man who brought you such wonders as TNG crew mutating into animal-like creatures. An Enterprise crew who mutates into funky alien things. <laughs> that talk and clicks and whatnot. <laughs> we get to watch it tonight so that it will be fun watching Paris <laughs> turn into a lizard and all. I got that at Wolf 10, he was everywhere at once, I get that. But the mutating was so out of left field, it just seemed like it should have been cut out completely. And the crew could have tried to warp tenify the four-lane garden spade and had some kind of trouble or something. It made better sense than Paris becoming a Komodo dragon. This was his liberation. From Seska's death for traveling to 1996 to Kess going backwards in time for whatever reason, with the following episode being lame, or the doctor trying out a totally created family that makes no sense to Riley and former Bog to the season finale. I do remember Voyager, Mr. Wayne, getting slightly better by season four, but not by much. At least we got rid of the Kazon quickly through along with Seska. Honestly, by season four, Voyager got better, but it had its moments where it just seemed like Pillar and Bragg got twitchy and decided the show was getting too good, and they needed to throw in something stupid or pointless, like the episode where Kes comes back to an act of revenge against Voyager for sending her off like she'd want to, only to be stopped in time by her past self. Episodes where it seemed a script needed an overhaul, just thrown out completely, Master Wayne. Also, Talaxians apparently can traverse for a thousand lot years easily without aid, yet Voyager is more advanced. Seriously. The producers treated the actors like manual laborers, not Klingon warriors. The writers seemed to try out controversial, out-PC, out-social commentary themselves at all times. All the while staying in the small, small box. Gene Roddenberry carried it in 1990. I was there. <sighs> Makes my Klingon blood boil. They're made smaller by Rick Berman, who seems to epitone by playing it safe. Star Trek as a whole could be separated to Trek as Ronberry wanted it before he got famous, and Trek afterwards. Assimilate this. Okay, I gotta think of something. <laughs> uh, let's see. That was my halfway decent Michael Dorn impersonation. Not Worf, Michael Dorn. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could probably try Worf. I've done Worf before. Um, let me see. Uh, <laughs> du- dueling Worf. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> See, where'd you leave off? Uh, just... uh, before being where they seemed. It's like the. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before being where they seem to have more freedom to create, and even question their universe, and after where it had to be a certain way, save for Deep Space Nine, which would have never gotten off the ground if Gene had been alive. 
After TNG and out of DS9, it seemed that the Trek producers wanted to play it safe, to not step out of the box. And if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. <laughs> no, not, I can't do war. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help I have, like, that deep smoker's voice. <laughs> yeah. You do a better dark side, though. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> For a limited time. After TNG and out of Deep Space Nine, it seemed that the Trek producers wanted to play it safe, to not step out of the box. It had to be a certain way, and it seemed that some of the creatives around Trek, including actors, wanted to step off the safety line and see where they could go. Largely, though Voyager has potential, the show is pretty much unnecessary. So far, it had some good episodes, actual good episodes, <laughs> where it seemed that Voyager was going to go somewhere, and kind of, and then not so much. Now it's rocking the Borg children and now retreading the Next Generation episodes. I liked that it had episodes that showed Starfleet was actually searching for Voyager. They had an episode that was kind of a retread of that, the original series episode, where an alien race lives in an accelerated timeline, Robin, and it was decent, though it lost itself a bit in the end. The Doctor is the best part, though. That's the general consensus. But throughout Voyager, it seemed that they tried to go out, but Berman, Pillar, Braga, Taylor would snap them back to the box. That was Roddenberry, late Roddenberry's universe. I mean, it's pretty bad when the actors complain about how their show is being handled, and the handlers are the ones who should know better, as they are veterans of Star Trek TV production. What should have happened was they should have brought in Bear and more and let them run the show. I believe they did that with more, but he got sick of how badly it was handled and left. Voyager suffered from bad writing and bad producers. And this would be a trend that would see itself in Enterprise and unfortunately carried into the next generation movies, i.e. Nemesis. Is it laziness? Poor talent? No. Production-wise, Voyager through Nemesis had a lot of work put into them, Robin. The talent was obviously there. What more or less happened was probably extreme burnout. Movies and The Next Generation worked great because from 69 to 79, 
There was no Star Trek. And then the motion picture came out, and suddenly Star Trek happened again. Then, six years later, The Next Generation, and with classic movies, and The Next Generation Trek became a hit again in a huge way, and even gave us Deep Space Nine as a spin-off, and it did what no other Trek had done. It questioned itself and its universe. Even the next generation did that with Wesley Crusher, deciding that Starfleet really wasn't his thing. But Deep Space Nine was notorious for questioning Roddenberry's vision. You had things like Bajorans, aliens hating the Federation, war, fleet officers breaking the rules for the greater good, etc. Al, <laughs> Deep Space Nine was a true successor to the original series. They even went back in time to the original series. But Voyager, for reasons, regressed and decided to play it safe. Enterprise tried to be new, but you could tell, production-wise, they were done. I, I think I got uh, one for the last bit, <laughs> maybe. <clears throat> Only Derek might know this character. Maybe maybe Justin. The least they could have done was shown that Voyager crew landing on Earth, I must say. At the end, they instead they show a cop-out ending they gave us. I must say, that's pretty weak. Oh, my God. That would have been nice. Oh, my God, Pat Sadek is on. That was, that was Ed Wait. Grimley. That's what I thought about that. <laughs> so that is the fanhole's dramatic reading of J. David Pansel's Stream of Consciousness on Star Trek Voyager. So we hope you were entertained by all the various voices. We hope you found the Stream of Consciousness on Star Trek Voyager interesting, insightful. I, I, well, I have a question, though, uh, Derek. Sure, sure. When, when did Adam West join the podcast? I don't know. I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's, he's the unofficial sixth fan hall. Like everyone <laughs> knows that Adam West is a fan hall. So, yeah, but uh, I, that, that pretty much wraps up the main portion of our podcast for tonight. But we are going to continue on with our regularly themed segment, which is what is awesome in your world this week. And it's kind of awesome because we have all five fan holes here to tell us something that's awesome. You know, what we normally do is we'll go around and we'll talk about something that has caught our eye, something that we're really into this particular week, and, you know, just recommend it, and we hope you check it out. So I will start with, let's see, i got to pull up my, my Skype page because I've been staring at this Gmail email for the whole time. Let's see, I've got a very angry Inferno looking at me, so I'm going to start off with Mike and ask him what is awesome in his world this week. Well, the royalty. I got two things. Uh, first off, uh, the other night I saw X-Men uh, Days of Future Past, and I thought it was pretty great. It was a very good movie. It's uh, It takes a very special kind of movie to go back and actively, like, apologize for worse movies in its series. So, like, <laughs> that's always a good, like, what do you call uh, a good sign, I think. And, yeah, so I, I um, 
it's funny because it seemed like out of all the Marvel movies coming out this year, that was the one I was like least looking forward to. But it like so far, I, it might be the best so far. So like I, I really enjoyed it, and like I hope like I I enjoyed Captain America and Spider Man too, and I hope Guardians is good so Marvel can be like four for four this year. So yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is the web series Street Fighter Assassin's Fist, which is an official like Capcom sanctioned like live action web series that uh, takes place in the Street Fighter universe. It kind of like uh, tells uh, Ryu and Ken and uh, like their mentor Goken and his brother Akuma's like origin story and whatnot in in live action and uh, it's uh, it, it's. It's it's kind of low budget, but I think they made the most of what they had, and they got like actual like martial artists to play all the parts. So like all the fights look awesome, and like the acting is a little cheesy sometimes, but I really enjoyed it. It was really really faithful. There was no costume shame, you know. Like Ken wears his like bright red like gi and whatnot, and his yellow gloves. I about to say his yellow gloves, yeah. Yeah, so like, yeah. there's no costume shame, you know. Akuma looks pretty like faithful and whatnot, and yeah, what do you call? It? I had a lot of fun watching it, and I hope it gets like a second like season or whatever. They like released the whole first season at once, like all twelve episodes, and each episode is between like ten and fifteen minutes a piece. So it's all pretty good, and for for free on the internet, you know, you can't get much better. So. Yeah, I'm hoping they, they do what they did with the Mortal Kombat one and stick them all on a Blu-ray eventually. Cause yeah, they, I think they too. said they're planning on it, so yeah. Okay, cool, cool, yeah, very I'll, cool. I'll give you a Secret Brothers on that, Mike, because even though you introduced that in the uh, thread on Bot Talk, I did watch like the first four episodes, i got to watch the rest, but yeah, it, it's pretty good, I like it so far, so yeah, definitely pretty cool. Yeah, those, those all sound like cool things. I, I myself saw X-Men and thought it was pretty good too, but what about you, Tony, since you piped up, what is going on in your world that is awesome this week? Well... About the spot. No. I guess I uh, am going to be kind of doing a little bit of retroness right now, but eh, deal with it. Due to the uh, wonderful fan holes, I've been trying to get more into comics because we do a lot of comic uh, shows and whatnot. <clears throat> and this week I decided to go crazy and get a lot of comics. One of the ones I picked up this week is pretty much everything up to the current issue of Earth 2. Now, as Derek is well aware of, I am a huge fan of the Justice Society of America. That's basically all the old guard who are like, you know, Jay Garrick, you know, uh, Alan Scott, all, all the old guys. These are the guys who came out like first, you know, in the like, you know, 40s and 50s. And they're back now in a younger form for the, the new 52. And unlike a lot of the people who, like, you know, have been bashing, like, the New 52, and, and warranted, I know there's a lot of not not great New 52 comics, I really like Earth, Earth 2. I think it's really good. I like the new take on it. The characters are engaging. I love Jake Garrick. He's, he's just so likable. You just can't help but like the motherfucker. And, yeah, it's just really well written, and it's really fun. Yeah, I'm really into it. Next up is... Not now, but soon, I will be getting the uh, Figure Arts Common Rider Black RX. It's not out yet. I'm waiting for the pre-order to go through, and it might be up by now, because it was supposed to be May, and May's almost over, so the pre-order might have gone through by now. But soon I'll have what is known in the States as Mast Rider, and it looks like a sweet figure. But I don't have it yet, and as soon as I get it, I'll let you guys know if it is indeed awesome, but everybody here has been 
praising figure art, so I'm looking forward to getting this guy in the mail. So that's that's yeah, my second awesome thing. Cool. How how far did you get along with Earth Two? Like, did you get to the sort of I'm up changeover to, point? I'm, where, up, I'm like, up to twenty three. Oh, okay. I was just curious. Like, what do you think of like the sort of I guess you know mini reboot like kind of after James Robinson left? Because I, I was talking to Justin about it for a little bit. I was just curious, like, what you thought of the whole you know, Lois Lane is Red Tornado and, and all that kind of stuff that was going on, like the new, you know, the Thomas Wayne Batman, like all that kind of stuff. It's very seamless. I mean, one thing I'll give Earth 2 is it doesn't fucking stop. Yeah, what, one know? of the things I said on another podcast was I was like, at first I was like, oh, I want like all the Earth 2 figures, except I don't need another Batman. But then like when I read that annual with the, you know, Thomas Wayne origin yeah. story, I was like, fuck that. Like, he's Batman. He's cool. Like, I want that Batman now. Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah that I, I, I like, I like Lois, Lois Lane as Red Tornado. And uh, I mean, just and pro- probably my two favorite characters out of the series right now. I do, Like I said, I do like Jay Garrick. He's really cool. He's, uh, he's, he's. Not the new Flash. He's the old Flash, but he's the newest Flash and the new Fifty. Yeah, figure it out. Whatever. I really, I really like uh, Doctor Fate. I really like how they handle him. I like Doctor. Yeah, Fate. yeah, yeah. He's got a cool costume and oh, everything yeah. like that. Yeah, very, very good cool. comment. Very. You should. You guys should check it out. It's really good stuff. Awesome. All right. So uh, then, uh, I also see staring at me is uh, Mr. Brian. What's going on, Brian? What is awesome in your world this week? This week, I have something that was introduced to me by one of my friends. My friend Andy. He's a big board game player, so he likes a lot of the kind of niche board games that most people don't play unless you're pretty serious in the tabletop games. But anyways, this past weekend we played a game called Pathfinder, and it's adventure card. It's an adventure card game. It's a pretty cool game. It's kind of like I don't know if I want to say it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't know a good way to describe it. It's kind of like an RPG game. You have a specific number of characters you can choose from for your main character, and then you and the people you're playing with kind of form like this unit and go out and you're basically playing against the game so it's all cooperative very fun and you know just kind of it just kind of clicked with me with all the things i like about video video games and stuff like uh stat building and things like you can do in this card game so it was a very good time and a very fun game very cool all right uh, what about you justin you got anything awesome in your world this week to share with the fan holes listeners of course my first thing is a book it's called, Woo, uh, books! How I've missed that! <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Rise of Rome by Anthony Everett, and basically it is what it says it is. It's about the rise of Rome, and it talks about the different myths and legend that you know Rome itself uh, spread about how it became you know this great city state and conquered most of the known world at the time, and then it goes you know. Beyond that, it goes beyond the myths and legends to like the actual history, like how this like small, like farming little town became the biggest city in the world at the time. Which it's it's very interesting. I like it. I like Roman history. My second thing is an anime I've been watching. It's called Hajime no Ippo, and it's a boxing anime. And I discovered this through Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll has the third season. And I was starting to watch it, and then I noticed a comment saying, this is the third season. I hope they get the other two seasons. So I went – you know, I was like, oh, wait, back up. So I like went to YouTube and started watching the first season, and it's it's really good. It's basically about this, uh, this kid in uh, high school called Ipo, and he gets bullied, and he gets beat up, and then – this uh, like champion champion boxer like saves him, and he he becomes interested in boxing. 
So you're basically following his like rise. Like he, the first ten or so episodes is basically like he's, you know, just learning the basics of boxing, like how to throw a punch, like how to like, you know, do road work and like build up your stamina and stuff. And then it follows him all the way up through like you know, different fights, like championship fights and tournaments and stuff. Like it's really great. Like usually I'll sit down, I'll be like, all right, I'm just gonna watch like two or three episodes, and then I get into it, I'm like, man, I watched like eight episodes in a row. I gotta take a break. <laughs> it's, re- awesome. it's really great. It, that, cool. That's what's really weird about like Japan that like a lot of people may not know who like get into anime and manga and like the sports manga and sports anime thing is actually kind of a big thing in Japan. It's actually a big subset of like and anime over there, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I know. There's, there's, uh, I know some Crunchyroll. There's like uh, there's one about football. I can't remember the name of it. There's also one about baseball. I, I can't remember the name of it either. I just remember like looking through the different shows that were new to Crunchyroll, and I was like, oh, there's like a whole bunch of sports anime. There's one about basketball too, but. There's a tennis yeah. one that's like really popular. Yeah, yeah uh, King, King of Tennis. Yeah. yeah. I just thought that was really cool. That, like that, like manga there is like kind of like how romance comics were big in the '60s here, like before the heroes. It's like sports is really big in Japan. That's like a popular like fictional universe for them. So that was really cool. Boxing sounds much more entertaining though than like tennis. So. <laughs> yeah, it seems like what? it would appeal to, to people that were fans of you know fighting animes, whether it's something like Dragon Ball Z. I mean, I could imagine you you have you know rounds and, and tournaments and different things like that that elevate the story. Where I'm sure there are rival boxers, and it, uh, it's probably fun to see different matchups, just like you would in any you know kind of fans, fantasy type show, you know, it'd be yeah. fun to see two boxers face off just as much as it would be to see two Gundams, you know, face off against each other or something like uh, that. So One of the things I like about this series is that whenever he goes up against an opponent, it's not just like, oh, this is the guy I'm fighting, he's a bad guy. Like, it'll usually give you, like, an episode or two of, like, his opponent's life, like, maybe if they're going through some hardship or, he, you know, they're having a hard time, like... You know, living on their own and like trying to have a job and raise their sister, or you know, or, or they'll explore like why his opponent is like so determined to like win the championship or something. Like it's 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 not like one sided, but you know, give me give me a little bit of the shoes on the other foot thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'll share some of my awesome stuff. I just wanted to let everybody know that last week I, I did do some Facebook posting that I was going down to the Big Wow Comic Fest in San Jose. So that was last week, but I'm going to talk about it this week because I haven't had a chance to talk too much about it yet. But it was a really cool show. I mean, it's very comic professional oriented, you know, unlike, I guess, you know, comic conventions of today. It seems like, you know, San Diego's got all kinds of stuff, whether it's video games and films and animation and all this other stuff that they have kind of nothing to do with comics per se, you know, at least not the, the professional creators of those uh, comic books. So it's kind of nice that there was, you know, three to four whole aisles that were just dedicated to comic book professionals. There were artists and writers and colorists and inkers all there signing their work. You know, they had a lot of prints. So I kind of went on eBay and bought a bunch of different cool posters for people to come down there and sign. And, you know, everybody was really nice and signed the posters and different things that I got. And then also they had prints there for sale. So if I couldn't find some some poster that I, I really adored on, you know, eBay or online or something like that, there were prints there that I could find myself. And so that was really fun. 
some of the celebrities that were down there were actually Japanese-based. You know, maybe I can talk more about this on later episode of Toku Thursdays, but Daisuke Bon was there, who is the man who plays Jiro, Android Kakaida himself. Mm-hmm. And then they also had the, the suit actor for Godzilla and the suit actor for Ultraman. So it was kind of like a trifecta of some of Japan's most awesome properties. So that was really cool. And, you know, I got to hand out a lot of... Fanhole's business cards and history of comics on film business cards. So, you know, hopefully that gets the word around about this show. And, you know, who knows? We may have some, some special guests here on the Fanhole's podcast coming up eventually. So that was a cool, fun thing to go do. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, oddly enough, is a film. And I, I wasn't planning on watching this, and it's not actually Days of Future Past, because that was something I was planning on watching and I did enjoy. But the movie Three Days to Kill just recently came out on home video, and it's basically like a, a French-American you know, hybrid film. It's directed by Mick G, which don't let that scare you or anything, because <laughs> it's written by uh, Luke Besson, who you might know best. I, I know him best as the guy who did The Professional, or as they like to call the director's cut, Leon. And if you're familiar with that film, it's got like Natalie Portman and everything um, when she was a kid, and you know it's about a cleaner, or basically a professional hitman and stuff. And and this film is not too different. I mean, it's, it's not a remake or anything. It's got its own little story to tell, but Kevin Costner, in this case, is an American hitman who, uh, you know, works for, you know, the CIA and everything. And it's a pretty cool story. I mean, I I wasn't planning on watching it. I just kind of sat down in the room and it just started. And I just, you know, I I didn't feel like leaving, you know, and and that's kind of rare because a lot of times I'll sit down and there'll be a movie on in the room and I'll be like, I'm busy. I got to go do some stuff. But this actually sort of held my interest. Uh, You know, it was, it was, very action-oriented, and if you like, you know, that man's work, you know, Luc Besson, if you like the movie The Professional, I think you guys would dig uh, Three Days to Kill, because it's got, you know, good-looking ladies, it's got, you know, cool kind of fight scenes and gunfights and all that kind of stuff, and then it also, you know, has that kind of touching, you know, element with, uh, you know, he's trying to reunite with an estranged daughter, too, so kind of like the relationship between, you know, uh, Leon and uh, Natalie Portman's character in The Professional, there's also that kind of element where, you know, there's there's a kind of touchy-feely kind of nature to it, too, so, uh, you know, it's kind of got something for everybody, I think. And I thought it was a pretty cool movie, and it definitely held my interest. I didn't know too much about it until I just sat down and watched it, but I really enjoyed it. I'm just like, oh. I'm amazed that Kevin Costner was in a good movie. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Sorry, but anyway, my um, mind. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, those are my awesome things of the week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fan Holes. We know it's kind of a very special episode of Fan Holes, but we had fun doing it. We hope you had uh, fun listening to it. And, you know, continue to, uh, of course, follow us on, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter. We are on our Fan Holes podcast blog spot. Um, you can send us emails at Podcast at gmail.com we are now on Stitcher Radio so you can listen to us that way you know you can uh, you know tweet us because we have a Twitter so there's all kinds of ways to get in contact with us all kinds of social medias that are going on and uh, yeah so until the next time this is going to be Derek Derek WC signing off hey this is Brian Breakdown Mike Underwing Justin this is Tony, and I'm really sorry we didn't get into, like, the amazing character of Eachup. What the hell? Peace.
<laughs> you're, kinda, you're Sylvester Stallone for a second, like I thought you were trying to do Vin Diesel or something, like, briefly. Yeah. We, we should have Derek do that, just like at one point, just be, not even impress it, just like at one point in a sentence, and then the buster. <laughs> the buster. I feel so bad for Derek though, because like that's like one of his like main catchphrases, and like the poor guy's dead because the Buster is dead. <laughs> the Buster's dead. Yeah. Oh well. That's okay though. That that's like remembering the Buster. Yeah, you know? that's that's your homage to. We're, to the we're remembering the honoring Buster. the Buster. I remember the Buster. <laughs> the Buster. 